The whole town's talking about it. It's not right for a woman to read. Soon she starts getting ideas and thinking. Gaston, you are positively primeval. <laughs> Thank you, Belle. Hi, I'm Joe. And I'm Tiana. And this is Next Door Villain. A podcast where we uncover the villains to discover their humanity. Hello, hello, everyone. This is Tiana and Joe from Next Door Villain Podcast, and we are so excited to be back. Yes, it's been, I don't know, what, seven months, eight months? Oh, seven? Nine months? Nine months, long months, enough months to where you could have had a baby, and of <laughs> trials, pandemic, exhaustion, you know, everyone knows, everyone in America knows what has what we've been going through. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so we both had our own kind of rough stuff that we went through and uh we realized that we did not announce that we were going to stop making episodes <laughs> back in the spring and i think that was largely because we didn't know we were going to stop making episodes we just stopped yeah because of all the things going on and all the difficulties yeah i feel like a bunch of bricks just kind of hit me back in july i'm still recovering from the bruises but things are getting better yes Slowly and steadily, and we're we're optimistic. I'm optimistic. Are you optimistic? Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm definitely much more optimistic than I was. I I'm optimistic that we only have one month left of 2020, essentially, ish. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we should we should mention we are recording this well ahead of time. This episode's uh, you're probably listening to this in January, but we're recording it in November. So when we say we're optimistic, disregard any terrible things that might have happened between November oh, and January. <laughs> Um, right yeah we don't know the future we're, we're banking on things getting better yeah i'm just assuming i'll be a much better human i'll be like a queen compared to the tragedy that i am <laughs> sorry that's a little dramatic uh, that's, uh, yeah yeah i laughed but it was <laughs> it was kind of sad anyways we wanted to start again uh with a really well-known famous villain i thought that he was a perfect fit to start off this next chunk of episodes we're going to release because he is the counterpart to the villain that we discussed in our very last episode many months ago lefo lefou lefou i don't lefou <laughs> wow it and was only are... seven months ago don't you know <laughs> i i don't know anything anymore <laughs> obviously we were talking about the charismatic Strong, thick-chinned, hairy-chested Gaston from Beauty and the Beast. Does, no, I'm not going to say it. What? what? I, I was going to say, does that make him more relatable that he has like a hairy chest? Oh, you, you're <laughs> referring to the fact that I have hair on my chest? <laughs> yes. Um, you no, don't have to answer I do, that. <laughs> I, I don't feel a strong connection via hair. Oh. With Gaston, I'd say it's it's not something I feel connected to. <laughs> uh, anyways, before we dive in, uh, we're gonna start our episodes like we always do with our thirty second intro 
challenge where we do our best to cram as much information about the character as we can into 30 seconds to give you a little refresher on who we're talking about. And Tiana, I have nominated you to go first. Okay. All right. Three, two, one, go. Okay. So Gaston, he has a really um, awesome red shirt um, and a button. And he's um, <laughs> really, he might, you know, be kind of a narcissist and think he's hot shit because he's a hunter and he really loves Belle. And so he tries to defeat the beast in order to get Belle. Um, but unfortunately he dies at the end, but it's okay because he graced us with his awesome good looks um, and his ability to sing about himself like no other. And um, yeah. Time's up. That was good. You got a lot in there. Yeah, I tried. Mm-hmm. All right. Are you ready? Yes. Three, two, one, go. Gaston is a big, strong man, um, war hero, town hero. Um, everybody in the town admires him. They all think that he's the coolest person around. Uh, and that's probably because he is pretty cool. He's got big, strong muscles. He eats tons of eggs. He's a really good sportsman, um, not in his conduct, but in his ability to um, do sports types of things and he is also a lover he has a very passionate love for a very particular woman <clears throat> cute yeah that's a good point you made many good points especially the egg stuff yeah five dozen eggs i think he eats <laughs> every morning how can you handle that oh my god <laughs> <laughs> i don't i don't know and i think that's i think that's outdated health knowledge right especially <laughs> if they're raw like... i assume they're raw yeah i think it would have been hard to hard boil eggs in 15th century France, <laughs> France. Country, countryside. Oh yeah, we forgot this takes place in France, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I got the century right. I uh, just threw out a... Yeah. It's probably it's probably more like 18th century. No, probably... Nah. 16th, I think. 16th. That's probably right. Anyways, is there anything that we missed you think we should add? One thing that might be important is that he wants Belle so bad that he tries to manipulate people one of the main parts of the episode of the episode of the of the <laughs> movie is he threatens to put Belle's father Maurice into what is essentially an asylum unless he can get Belle to marry him and he's just kind of like all around sexist full of himself but we all kind of already knew that and we yeah, already kind of he's... dragged him a lot in the LeFou episode <laughs> but this time yeah. we need to look at him positively yeah, we're going to undrag him. Yeah. What's we're, your we're first gonna step? Lift him. <laughs> is is that the opposite of drag? I guess. They they really don't give us too much of a backstory in in the Disney film Beauty and the Beast. As I was trying to like find a little information about his backstory online, find that, that there is a lot of kind of speculation and there's a lot of things that people say. Luke Evans, who played him in the live action version, came up with this whole backstory for him, which I, I thought was was a pretty good backstory. And so I kind of ran with that when I was thinking about Gaston. And the backstory that he gave him was that Gaston had basically saved their village from like some marauders when he was younger. And he was he was a hunter for the town. He brought in a lot of their food and he was a war hero. And so all of that kind of gave him celebrity status and that he probably now suffers from potentially some kind of PTSD from all of that. And we'll talk about it more as we get into it. But that's where Luke Evans thought that he got kind of his bravado from and, and all his admiration from the townspeople, from being a hero to them, an actual hero in, in one regard. 
So what um, what did you find in your research to make you empathize with Gaston? Yes, Gaston. I realized, first of all, that you can still be fairly attractive with a butt chin. So that's a good part. It's a good, <laughs> good thing to know. Are, are butt chins... So you can't see on me because you're listening to this at home on a podcast. But Tiana, yeah. you also can't see on me because I have a beard. Right. But I kind of have a butt chin. Are butt chins... What's the word on butt chins? You know, I think they're making a comeback. I think... <laughs> Maybe it's just like from like naive elementary school thinking that, oh, you have a butt chin. Haha, <laughs> that's so funny. It's like a butt on your chin. Now that we're older and wiser, you know, I guess you can still be decent looking with a butt chin. Yeah, I'm definitely kind of self-conscious about mine. But I'll be honest, when you when you said just a few minutes ago that you thought they were attractive... <laughs> <laughs> it, it made me feel good oh really? um so uh <laughs> so i, I guess yeah. i uh, just right off the top there's one way i empathize with gaston oh my god you relate to him so much anyway so yeah return to <laughs> the actual point <laughs> the actual point is that yeah i do i do too of course not with looks the thing that i it, thought about Gaston is that towards the end of the movie he's really obsessed with with killing the beast because you know, he genuinely, I think, really does believe that the Beast is a threat to their town. And also because he wants Belle so badly. And mm -hmm. I think it is okay to think that something is dangerous and needs to be defeated, whether that's COVID-19 or a terrorizer or a beast. It's just the problem is that Gaston didn't have all the facts. But <laughs> I think <laughs> I think it's also admirable to because Gaston is someone who's a hunter and he likes to challenge himself and show all the things that he's accomplished um, by showing off his skill and showing off antlers on the wall and all of that. And I think it's also like admirable. And I'm sure that Gaston feels that way, too. It's admirable to take on something much bigger than yourself, like a beast. Mm -hmm. That would be his own ultimate accomplishment whether that be like taking on like a boss or taking on a policy or taking on hot wings or so or like something that well, i think you typically can't defeat that's a really good point especially what you what you said about him not having all the facts because if we take bell's story out of the equation what do we really know about the beast we know that maurice came running into town screaming for help because there was this beast that had captured his daughter yeah. So that's not good. Gaston doesn't believe Maurice because this is wild. And why would he believe there's a beast in a magical castle? But then when Belle comes back and shows him the beast, it's a terrifying thing. And all the info he has is that this beast tried to capture Belle and that he's terrifying. And he's like nothing they've ever seen before. And everyone in the town is terrified. I think it does seem like the right thing to do to go take down this beast that is potentially going to be a threat to your city not a city it's a small town it's it's very small and and vulnerable vulnerable yeah i mean it wouldn't take a lot to wipe out this village <laughs> if you knew that there was a beast near your tiny town in south dakota or whatever and had potential to take out everyone in your town what would you do i think a lot of people would be like let's take care of this you know or they would flee but they don't they don't want to submit. They don't want to just sit idly by or just flee. That's all I had for that point. And just thinking about applying that to other parts of your life too. Take on something that seems kind of dangerous can be really rewarding. Uh, yeah, I'm thinking about that as, as you mention it in the context of my own life. 
particularly through everything that's been going on with COVID, one of the things that is affecting me is that my job has slowed down a lot. And I'm, I'm really lucky and privileged to still have my job and still, you know, getting paid full time. But there's so much less to do that I'm just, I'm just kind of bored all the time. So that, that kind of like innate desire that people have to challenge themselves is, is something that I feel very strongly right now. And I think that's kind of what you're getting at with Gaston. Yeah. Is that he's a doer. He's, he's, he likes to go out and take care of things. And it seems like from what we know that that's kind of his role in this town is to take care of things for them. Yeah. And that's probably why everyone loves him so much and why they sing songs about him. Well, it's honestly probably kind of boring, this small village in the middle of the countryside in 1600s, 1700s France. There's probably not a lot going on. And this is maybe one of the first real big bits of excitement they've had in a while. And I think Gaston is motivated by other people's admiration for him. But I can also tell that there's a part of him that where he motivates himself too. And honestly, I don't think there's really anything wrong with being motivated by people's adoration as long as what you're doing is considered, like, helpful and good. So if you're, like, motivated to, like, eat a Tide Pod so that you would be, like, <laughs> adored, like, that's a problem, right? But I think with Gaston, the villagers, I think their adoration motivates him to also do quote-unquote good by killing the beast or by being a hunter and providing probably meat for this village, who knows? Honestly, like, don't you... I, I guess this, that is going to sound like I'm accusing you of something, but I'm not <laughs> because I'm certainly guilty of this as well. And I think guilty is a bad word. But the question that I'm rearing up to is, aren't you motivated by adoration in a lot of things that you do? I mean, I'm a podcaster. So no. So yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, like you have to admit that a part of reason why podcasters do podcasts is because they want to be listened to and adored in a certain to a certain extent. Yeah, kind of. I was joking. I, I knew oh. what you were saying, <laughs> but I was joking at the fact that we don't we don't have. I mean, we we have a small, dedicated group of listeners. But if you're listening now, you you heard it firsthand. We are looking for adoration. Adoration here, right now. Yes, we're not doing this for money. If we were, we would have been done a long time ago. <laughs> Just for but, people but to those... be like cool. <laughs> Tiana's yeah, yeah, so every, cool. Yes. Every now and then when you send us an email and you say, hey, I love the show, we flip out. It's we actually it's like do. Christmas. It is. Yeah. To wrap this back around to Gaston, because I oh, think yeah. we got a little, <laughs> a little bit off track, but I think it all does connect, is just that one good way that we can empathize with him is by the fact that we, in many ways, are motivated by the same thing that's keeping him going which yeah. is the adoration of all the people around him yeah he didn't have instagram to where he could just like take pictures and call it a day i feel like he needed to like do more do more to get that <laughs> adoration it's probably a little bit harder to like get quote unquote real life likes in yeah he had to he had to jump on top of tables <laughs> yes and hunt some expectorate stuff all over <laughs> do, you, do you know what expectorating is Yes, I just found out. Me too. I, I looked it up. And for you listeners, there's a point in the song where he says he's the best at expectorating. And I hadn't a clue what it meant. I, I thought maybe it meant like giving speeches in front of crowds. But that it, it turns out it's just it's spitting. Yeah, he had to spit. 
<laughs> Aren't you glad? <laughs> Apparently that was a that was a valued trait, I guess, at yes. that time. <laughs> I mean, it is kind of manly. You look powerful, I guess, when you can really like hack one up. It's not very like quote unquote ladylike, but I can tell you that during the times that I have spit on the road or like spit over a bridge or something, I have felt a little bit liberated. A little bit powerful. <laughs> I mean, don't do it now in the age of COVID. I could kill someone by doing that, so I don't do that. <laughs> Good, because I, I, I frankly think it's disgusting. So. <laughs> okay. A few other comments that I wanted to make, too, is that, first of all, it's okay to like books with pictures, you know, in that scene where he, like, throws Belle's book away. He's like, he does, it doesn't have pictures. Okay. It's okay to, like, throw a book that doesn't have pictures. Screw it. Secondly, I'm honestly jealous of Gaston's confidence. And I know that you can argue that he, maybe he uses it to mask like insecurity issues, potentially, mm -hmm. but a lot of times you have to uh, fake it till you make it. And I really like how Gaston, he struts wherever he wants. He's really able to get what he wants because of that confidence that he emits. And I think we can learn from him in that sense. Yeah. So I think that ties in really nicely to what I wanted to really talk about, yeah. which is this issue of the confidence. And I think that you kind of hit it on the nose that one myself may argue that the confidence is a cover or potentially a cover for something else that's going on. I agree, though, that being able to have confidence is important. And it's something that I struggle with a lot. And I think it is definitely something that we can admire in him and, and that we can look up to in him. But I want to make the argument that another way that we can empathize with him is that I think that his confidence very well could be a front for something else. You know, what I, what I mentioned earlier on, that potential that he had some kind of like PTSD or just, just kind of some bad stuff happened to him prior in his life might mean that he's using the confidence kind of as a front to not have to display those um, emotions that might make him look like he's not nearly as manly as um, everyone thinks he is. It's just that I feel like it's kind of kind of like a this cycle, this really negative reinforcing cycle where when you appear confident and strong um, or you do something to appear confident and strong, like be a war hero or save a town, people assume that you have it all together. And so they look up to you and they don't ask you what's wrong. And they, they don't ask you what's, what's going on because they don't think there is anything going on with you because you look, you look like you're great. Yeah. But then because no one's ever asking you those things, you're not thinking about those things yourself. And it kind of just continues to reinforce this facade of confidence and strength when deep down you're just further and further pushing away those actual real deep emotions. And, and, it's, and I feel very sadly for Gaston because I worry that that's what's going on with yeah. him. Yeah, pushing those insecurities away then, and keeping up with the facade then kind of makes his emotions manifest in kind of destructive ways where he is manipulating people to get to Belle and he is basically, he keeps asking and asking her and he doesn't know how to take no for an answer and if he could just maybe be vulnerable rather than just angry, if he's able to just show his feelings and maybe let it out in a 
I don't know, a more healthy way, <laughs> then maybe he wouldn't let it manifest in a way that harms other people. Yeah. And actually, I, I really struggled, honestly, when I went back and, and watched Beauty and the Beast for that reason, watching him and seeing him not have any sort of good outlet for the emotions that he was having, particularly when he was told no. Yeah. The scene that really made me uncomfortable watching it now as an adult was the scene where he goes to Belle to ask her to marry him. And when he enters her house, he basically like traps her and he has a very large physical presence and she is much smaller. And in, in a way he forces himself on her and like puts like his arms around her so that she's trapped in a way that she can't get out. And that really freaked me out watching it. And I, I thought if you're someone who's ever been in a scenario where someone has been you know, physically oppressive over you, that that was a really kind of horrifying scene. And so I, like, I don't want to brush over how bad that is, but I do want to highlight the fact that that kind of behavior is, is often due to learned habits or, or, or learn stuff that you learn growing up because you didn't have a good outlet mm -hmm. to express yourself otherwise. And though it's terrible when people do this kind of stuff, we could prevent it from happening more often if we treated people better when they were younger and, and we didn't reinforce very specific masculine traits, which is a lot to ask from a 17th, 16th century right. French countryside village. Yeah. But it's something we can take away today and, and learn from as we approach people in our own lives. Yeah. And we always try and talk about like how, how would that have been prevented with Gaston and I like you said in 16th century France I have no freaking clue because I'm sure every man had bad toxic masculinity yeah it was a it was a tough time you say as if you've been there it was a tough time back in 16th century France <laughs> when I was yeah. a young lad yeah the, la the last thing that I kind of want to throw out there just because I found this interesting is that I, I went back and watched the 1946 version of Beauty and the Beast that was uh, the, the French version. And it was a really interesting film, and I would definitely recommend it. It's, it's free online on Vimeo. Very whimsical. Um, I imagine it was, it was a very interesting film to watch at the time. But I think, in, in all my research, I think this was the first appearance of a Gaston-like character in the Beauty and the Beast story. Um, because the original story did not have a Gaston character in it, but the 1946 film had a character named Avenant, who was a friend of Belle's brother, and he was madly in love with Belle and trying to get her to marry him. And she actually liked him in 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 that movie, but she wanted to take care of her father and she thought that was more important and so she had to turn him down. I don't know that that's important <laughs> information really to know, but I I also always find it interesting to see how these characters have grown and changed over time. And as we've told this story in, in the Disney film and then the new Disney film, he becomes a, a much more brutish, dangerous, villainous character. And it makes me just think about how stories change over time and how it matters who tells them mm -hmm. and so when you're hearing negative things about someone think about how many times that story has been told and who has told it and maybe that story has changed over time yeah and also going back to the fact that 
the way that someone views themselves is could be a lot different from how other people view them. Yeah. I always say, I think I said this in the LeFou episode too, that Gaston truly and genuinely, I think, believes that he is a hero. And then how do you undo that? Like, how do you tell him? <laughs> nah, <laughs> you're kind of a dick, you know? Um, it's It's hard. It's hard. Yeah. Really weird thing at the end of the 1946 film, not really relevant to our conversation, um, but Avenant sneaks into the castle and then gets killed by a statue of Diana that comes to life and shoots him in the back. And then he turns into the beast and then the beast turns back into a prince who looks just like Avenant. And then him and Belle have this really weird conversation. Belle is like, you looked like this guy that I used to know. And he's like, oh, did you love that guy? And she was like, yes, I did. And he was like, oh, is this going to be weird? And <laughs> that she, is was creepy. Like, she was like, no, it's cool because I love you too. So she got the best of both worlds. She got like the yeah, personality she... that she loved along with the looks yeah. of a different guy. Yeah. It's it's a moment where I, I felt really bad for the beast right. who... <laughs> I was like, great, does she love me? Does does she love this other guy that I look like now? <laughs> I'd be ticked. Yeah, like if there was another girl that like looked like me who was now like dating the man that I love, I'd be really mad. Also, Belle was able to cultivate the beast and make him a better person in a way, right? Yeah. Because she was like trapped in that castle thing, it's... I don't know. That's that's problematic in and of itself, um, but that's for a different conversation. <laughs> um, so then we automatically think, well, then the beast becomes the good guy. But Gaston didn't get to have that. He didn't get to have this recovery arc or this like, I don't know if recovery arc is, arc is the right word. This um, I think it makes sense. Yeah, it's it's called something specific that I can't remember right now. But this arc where... He becomes a different person or is formed into a better human because of other outside circumstances and people. And Gashan doesn't really get that. He just has like a, a guy who's like his right-hand man, LeFou, kind of like amping him up and being like, keep keep being who you are, man. I love you how you are. And that's, that's true. it. LeFou is, yeah, he's a super hype man, but he doesn't, he doesn't do... He doesn't do anything legitimately helpful. Right. He doesn't build anyone's character, which I guess is fine. I don't know. I guess it's not really his job to do that. But still, Gaston dies at the end. Um, and I find that kind of sad. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't He didn't get a chance to recover. Poor Gaston. Uh, yeah. So we like, we like to try to end with uh, our conversations with the question, uh, or really to kind of apply the episode to our, our personal lives. Do you want to put out our question yeah so as we've talked a lot about in this episode is that gaston is really motivated by adoration and being loved by people which he is which could also be rightfully justified he probably does you know some pretty cool shit to us we can kind of tell that he keeps wanting that adoration especially from bell so to further relate to him two-part question is when have you desperately wanted admiration from others and what do you wish you were admired for so I, I think the, the thing that I really want other people to admire about me is my thoughtfulness. And I, like not, not trying to be braggy about being really thoughtful, but... Oh, you're um, fine. We're doing an episode about Gaston, who's very braggy. <laughs> so I feel like it's okay. 
Right. All right. I won't feel bad. I'm getting my Gaston confidence out. I will stop apologizing for what I want people to admire me for because it's a real it's a real feeling that I have and it's okay to have feelings um, and to express them, which is something I'm learning <laughs> via therapy. So, so I want to be admired for my thoughtfulness because I do put a lot of thought into everything I do, particularly when I am doing gifts for Christmas or whatever. I spend a lot of time trying to think of and find something that will be unique either between me and that person or something that would be uniquely interesting to them and not boilerplate generic gift that they're not going to care about. And I, I don't always know if the other person realizes that. And I'm not comfortable being like, hey, this is all the thought that I put into this gift. So please <laughs> admire me for it. But I do kind of hope that they that they admire that about me and that that reflects on how they think of me as a friend and that they see that that thoughtfulness is going into our relationship. And I hope they reciprocate it as well. What do you, what do you wish you were admired for? First of all, Based on what you said, I'll remember that if you ever buy me a gift, I will... Was that an accusation? Bow. No, I will bow and... Yes. Now, now I feel like I like need to buy you. <laughs> no, no. You've given me the best gift of all, a podcast. Oh, okay. Okay. I feel like there have been um, several times in my life where I have needed to be very loyal. Loyal to a person in... Staying with them even when things get hard. Trying to work things out in relationships when things get really difficult. And loyal in that I have made certain sacrifices to be with them and stay with them. And I guess you can look at it on a case-by-case -case basis of whether or not that's good, per se. Um, but that's a conversation for a different day. But I think I have been, I think, good at staying and sacrificing and showing a lot of loyalty to a relationship. And I wish the whole world knew that. No, just kidding. <laughs> um. <laughs> well, now they do, <laughs> since the whole world listens to this podcast. That I'd like to be admired for a bit. Um, but then the other thing is I just like to be admired for my good looks, really, and how beautiful I am. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> 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 So if you're listening, Tiana would like you to send messages to our email or our Instagram <laughs> at nextdoorvillain. Uh, let her know what you think about her looks. No. Great. You just opened up a huge can of worms of people asking me if they could be my sugar daddy. So thanks for that. Tiana, or sugar baby. Asks... I don't know what the correct term is, but I get a lot of messages like that. <laughs> oh, do you? In regards yes. to the podcast? <laughs> no, not through the podcast, but like, oh, that'd be weird if it happened through the podcast. But like, oh, I could pay you $5,000 a month for you to like be my sugar, whatever, for us is to that, be sugar. Is, is, that a, is, is that a thing that like most women experience? I think so. Or... <laughs> yeah, I think a good chunk, at least women in their probably like 20s and 30s, I would say. I think it would be fairly easy to get paid a lot of money for like going on dates with older men or like spending time with older men. But like, do you want to do that? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. But if you want to give us money for this podcast. <laughs> anyways, let's. <laughs> <laughs> Sugar. Um, spe special treat uh, this week. 
we have a poem that we like to share with you all. And it's written by Eric Belmer, who is a poet here in Portland, Maine, near where I live. Um, and he's a member of the Portland Poets Society. They have an Instagram account, which I follow, that's super cool. They share a lot of great poetry, if that's something you're into. You can find them at Portland Poets Society. Uh, and, and Eric actually also released his own poetry book during quarantine, uh, which is super cool and impressive. And that is called Cupid's Carrying a 45, and you can find that on Amazon. So without further ado, here is Eric's poem about Gaston. Bell of the Ball Normal nightly waystation, friends of plenty to hold up his glory, image inversely projected from his former self. Everyone loves him now. With strength and admiration, he made them bow. His ego is the facade, but before his muscles and his posse, he created the lie to live the lie. And the cute girl that walks into the bar that he has yet had, well, she deserves to be his because Gaston is his pen name and acting is his game. Although before they misunderstood him, before his former love shattered all he had, he was a simple man that did all he can to support love and his fair maiden's hand. Well, she left without a word, without a care, and regular old Gaston was left a broken man. Bell, if you understand your sudden arrival, Gaston's hope revival, no wonder he became obsessed. You're just not another girl, but a gorgeous bookish type, with pipes that could sway any mortal. Wholesome nepotistic vibes, humanity's caretaker surmise. Of course he thought he deserved a try. Only if you knew his needs, but you never knew, because you never asked. So the muscled, stern, egotistical man ended up alone, all over again. Patronizing victims, crushing draughts, and chasing women. So the bell of the ball creates another beast, who never sleeps. For the only worthy girl slipped through his fingers, never understanding his calloused hands. Fingers writing out names in past, present, and future sands. Thanks again to Eric Belmer for sending that poem in to us. It was super cool. Next Door Villain was written, produced, and all the other stuff that happens to podcasts. It was all done by us, Joe Anderson, and Tiana Hennings. Yeah, be sure to look us up on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and hit us up. Slide us, slide into the DMs, but do not ask me to be a sugar whatever thing. Um, <laughs> and but you can ask me. Okay. <laughs> yes, Joe would like that experience. Uh, <laughs> oh boy. Hopefully, no one listened this far. Anyways, if you have listened this far, we so appreciate you. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again soon with a new episode. Thank you. Bye. Bye. <laughs>